Here begins sad incertidumbre. A place where not having certainties is not a fault, it's an opportunity. Be part of a conversation about mental health, self-care and much more with Francisca Venegas and Sebastián Valdés. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Sana Incertidumbre, your podcast about mental health, self-care, and life itself. It's Sebastian Valdez, journalist, and I'm happy to be with you in the English version of our podcast. And also, of course, I am, as always, with Francisca Venegas, clinical psychologist. How are you, Fran? Hello, Seba. Thank you. I'm very, I'm very happy. And like you mentioned, we love having our English version so we can have more international guests as well from all over the world. So if you are listening to us and you want to participate, just text us on Instagram and you can be part of the podcast as well. Yeah, and today we have an amazing guest with us and I just want to introduce her. Her name is Megan, Megan Judge. She's the host of the podcast Judging Megan. She lives in Los Angeles, California. She's a trauma survivor. She has lost a significant people in her life. And she talks about this in her podcast with other people who are trauma survivors. We're going to be speaking with her. And first, I want to welcome her. Megan, how are you? Welcome to San Incertidumbre. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking to people from different places and meeting, like learning about other cultures. And I just think it's so thrilling that you asked me to be on your podcast. So thank you so much. Now, thank you for accepting the invitation. And I want to start the um, talk uh, asking you about your life story. Can you tell us about that? Your life story and also what motivated you to start your podcast? So basically, I started my podcast like a lot of other people during COVID. So I'm about 14 episodes in. And the reason I started the podcast was because I was in a very, very dark place in my life, in my own life. I have two little girls and I'm happily married. And one day I was sitting at the beach because we live at the beach and I was staring out at the ocean and I just, I didn't want to go on. I was at a point in my life where I started to have suicidal thoughts. I started to really, I was having horrible, horrible panic attacks, like to the point where I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would reach, I would grab my husband and I thought I was dying because I just couldn't breathe. At that point, I had already kind of been in therapy, but I hadn't been, you know, I hadn't taken any medication or had any, any other help. But that was kind of the breaking point for me where I was sitting at the beach and it was It was almost exactly a year ago. It was March of 2020, right? When we went into COVID, when this really happened, I kind of said, I can take two roads. I can end it and not live the rest out my life and leave my beautiful baby girls that I love and my husband and my great life that God's given me, or I can do something good to help other people. And so uh, I basically, you know, I've, I was an actress when I was young. I've always been kind of creative. And so I decided that I wanted to do something creative with my life. And then I, that's why I started the podcast. 
I found it very beautiful that it's like your anniversary. A year ago, you were feeling all these overwhelming like feelings about existence, about your life, about the path your life has gone. And yes. you are sitting here with us a year from then saying, you know what? I want to dedicate this year, at least, that we don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic, to listen to others and to help others. And now you mentioned you're in your 14th chapter. I just want to say that I feel so proud about that, about how you turn those events into something beautiful and to something that can give so much space for other people as well. Well, thank you. I mean, you're both obviously understand mental health and the way that I see it is, and I, I'm, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I like to use the analogy of if you, you know, if you had a broken arm, for example, would you just walk around with your arm broken and just have the arm flailing and be in pain? Probably not, right? So our brains are the same way. And I had been diagnosed, and I can kind of go into this as well, but I had been diagnosed with something called complex PTSD, which stemmed from childhood trauma. And basically what had happened was it just boiled, it kept, I kept pushing it down, right? Pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. And then I had so many triggers, including, you know, being in a, in a job where the, my boss put too much pressure on me. I was in corporate America for years and years, and I was having anxiety about that. And then also, you know, it didn't help that we were in COVID. And then I also had a very, very bad friend, like friendship breakup. One of my friends just devastated me and just kind of did some mean stuff and ended the friendship. And just so I think the combination of all of that stuff at one time really brought up past stuff that I hadn't really dealt with appropriately. It's scary when when you, um, past events of our lives, start to, uh, as you said, boil, and then create a sensation that takes us to a very, very dark place. I, I know where, where you're managing, of course, it's not the same issues, but I also, uh, at some point when I had depression, I, I had some suicidal thoughts, and that's when I was lucky enough to have a girlfriend who talked to me about that, and her father, had committed suicide uh, like four years ago. So she was very close with, with the experience of losing someone she loved. She was the one responsible to make me consult and speak uh, to a therapist, first a psychiatrist and then a therapist. And I couldn't be more grateful with her about that and also with myself for taking that decision. Well, you said we could speak about everything, so I won't like when I, so it basically started very young. I was, uh, I was about two years old and I had a little sister that was nine months and she had a liver disease. So they, my parents knew the outcome of my sister's, like she probably wasn't going to live very long, but she had just been in the hospital and they had done a surgery and they thought it was successful and at least bought her, you know, more time. And my mom went to, I, she was feeding me in my high chair and she went to get my little sister out of her crib and she, she had passed away. And so I was not even two at that time. And my mom was in complete shock and screaming and, um, she left me in my high chair because she was in shock and I was just left in the high chair. I guess I had, I don't remember this, but I had seen 
you know, the paramedics come in and my, you know, I think it was just extremely, extremely traumatic at that young age to have my baby sister pass away. So that was really my entrance into having loss in my life and it continued. So after that happened, I just was, I was completely paranoid. My parents had like I had already been potty trained at that point and I kind of went backwards and needed to be put back in diapers and re-potty trained and I was having really bad nightmares and I didn't understand where where and what had happened to my sister. It was just a whole series of things. So then, you know, my life went on and I, we were very lucky. We lived in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. In a, in a city called Potomac, Maryland. And my dad was a successful orthodontist and my mom was a homemaker, you know, and we kind of lived this life of everybody from the outside was like, oh, what a great family. There were four kids. After my sister passed away, my mom uh, gave birth to my brother and we were very happy. I was very lucky. I always had everything I wanted, but I was always scared something was going to happen again. And so when I was about 12 years old, my dad was diagnosed with leukemia and he passed away nine months later, which always affected me because he was the most amazing human being and father that anybody could have. And so that was the second thing. And then a decade later, when I was 29 years old, about 29 years old, my very best friend passed away giving birth to her son, very, it was a very freak accident where they were giving her an epidural and the tubes weren't connected and the strep virus got into her spinal column and her brain swelled and she died. It was just a whole series of loss after loss. And it really, you know, it really, really affected me in my life. And my mom had remarried and my stepfather was extremely abusive and so there was just a lot of stuff in my earlier life, you know, that escalated to the point where I got to where I was now. Sounds incredibly hard. And also this idea of from outside, we look very happy. And I imagine that you were, there were some times where you were actually very happy with your family and with your life. But then some events happened without any control from your part. It was just bad luck in some cases, negligence in some other cases. And I imagine how it was to, to project this, I'm happy, but at the same time, trying to hold it together. Maybe the anxiety was, okay, something bad can happen again. No, okay, but it has happened. So how was for you during those two decades, maybe from your thirties on, when you were saying, I was trying to keep everything inside and then just started to boiling. So what kinds of things did you try to do in order to keep the anxiety like calm and then it turned out to like just explode I think honestly I was kind of just faking it you know like I lived in Hollywood I worked in all the Hollywood nightclubs I dated famous actors and I knew everybody and I was always the girl that was fun you know and I I looked like I was happy all the time and partying and you know, like to drink and party. And then I met my husband pretty young. We were in our twenties and he's 
was on a TV show and an actor as well. And so we lived this kind of life of, you know, people were like, would have thought, oh, that's such a great life. And my husband is amazing. He kind of came in and he's, we're still together 20 years later, believe it or not, we met in our 20s. And he's my best friend. And I'm, he really has helped me throughout my life. We've kind of grown up together in a lot of ways. But I think just going through all the things of like, you know, getting pregnant with my first daughter, you're so excited to give birth and have this baby. And you think your life will be perfect once you have the baby. And then you have the second, then you're like, okay, well, now I have my baby. Now I need to have a second baby, you know? So I think it was a lot of that where I was like pushing things down. You know, I've always liked to drink Chardonnay. (laughs) I like wine. So I kind of use alcohol sometimes as a crutch. But I think when I got to the point where I was like, okay, there's no more babies. This is just life. And then, you know, I had made this friend group and then the friend group really, you realize that people are not always so nice in life. And I'm kind of always been somebody that was very inclusive and tried to be kind to everybody. And I'm very sensitive. Things probably affect me a lot deeper than they affect other people, I would say. In life, you, you're you like, oh, I can't wait to go to that party. And then you go to the party and it's like a major letdown afterwards because then you're like, well, what do I have to look forward to now? So it was like a series of a lot of parties and then it, the parties were done. And Megan, how did you finally face it? All these traumatic experiences, you went to therapy, you went to a doctor, how that helped you to manage your, your, your emotions better? And also, how do you live currently with all that story behind you? Do you remember it? You know, what is interesting is I went to, um, I live in Hollywood, right? Which I've in the LA area. So we're all very vain. You know, we're all like about appearance and I will, I will always be like that. And I wish I wasn't, you know, I'm working a lot on my inside. So my outside doesn't bother me as much as I age because we're all going to age and not look the way that we want to. Right. So it's a kind of a, it's not funny, but it is a little bit funny. I was actually in an appointment. I was getting Botox. Yes, I get Botox. The girl that was giving me Botox is a friend of mine. And I started to cry because she kind of, our kids are in the same school and she was like, what's wrong? And I, I kind of told her what was happening and that I didn't really want to go on. And she goes, well, you need to go, you need to go see Dr. Nay, my therapist. She put me in touch with my therapist who is, I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. It's a, it's with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes, of course. Yes. Okay. So my therapist is, her name is Dr. Nadine Macaluso. She was married. She's the real Margot Robbie. So in the movie, Margot Robbie is the real Dr. Nay. I call her Dr. Nay. So her name's Nadine in real life. In the movie, her name was Naomi. So I remember being like, oh my gosh, this is the real life, you know, person from that movie. That's so crazy. But the minute that I met her, we immediately just, it was like a patient, doctor-patient relationship where we just clicked. I've been in therapy kind of in and out of my life, but I've never really met a therapist that I could say, it makes me sad, but happy sad. 
because she saved my life. I mean, she really honestly did. She's an amazing lady. She's an amazing therapist. And I credit her for saving my life. I really do. So that's kind of what happened. I, I got, I got myself into therapy and the therapy alone wasn't working. I told you about the story of being at the beach. I had been at the, in therapy at that time. I realized I really needed some additional help. So Dr. Nay put me in touch with a psychiatrist and I went on, I went on Zoloft because I was continuing to have the panic attacks. And so I've been on Zoloft ever since eight months. Maybe I've been on Zoloft and it's really helped me. Was it easier for you to, to ask for help or to contact the psychiatrist or the therapist in the first place? I think I knew I was so anti going on medication and going to therapy because like backpedal a little bit. I had been in therapy in my life. My mom, when my sister died, my mom and dad put me into therapy as a little girl and I felt I didn't like it. Um, in high school, I was acting up a lot and obviously I had a very mentally abusive stepfather who sent, I was sent away to boarding school. I was just, I had a lot of issues with emotional issues at that point. My mom had sent me to a, a therapist and then I got put on Prozac and I just, I hated it. And so I think what I did was I kind of like ran from therapy the rest of my life until I got into, you know, a few years ago when I met Dr. Nay. I wanted to know, because I understand the feeling of uh, that your life, it's moving and you, um, you feel that maybe you don't need help because the next thing that happens will make you feel better. But what made you take the decision to, to go into therapy? I would say what, like, what made me really go into therapy was realizing in that moment when I was, you know, trying to cover my wrinkles <laughs> in the doctor's office, the physical shell that I had been so successful at, you know, I've always considered myself pretty funny and the life of the party and, you know, laughing, but inside I was, I knew I was not doing well. When you get to the point where you're so low that you're like crying in a public place, like a doctor's office, then you should probably go into therapy. And I knew that. My heart was broken, really is what it was. Listening to you, I was remembering this book called uh, The Dancer of Auschwitz that is written by Edith Egger. And she mentioned, and I was wondering your own opinion on this, that she was diagnosed with PTSD as well post-traumatic stress syndrome and she was fighting to run away from that diagnosis her whole life in the sense of if I don't think about my past then I will survive if I leave the holocaust on the past I will survive but she started to realize that the past was like chasing her and that some moments of her life that were totally new remind her of everything So when she started to make peace with that idea of having this diagnosis or that the past sometimes can have an impact on your present, she started to heal. So I was wondering how it was for you to, to be given this diagnosis? Did you make sense of it when they just gave it to you? Were you thinking, yeah, maybe, no, this is not for me? I think because comp PTSD is one thing, but complex PTSD, which is what I was diagnosed with, is, is very new. 
And, and a lot of times from what I've been told and kind of read about is it does always stem from childhood, right? So when I, I feel like in a way, when I was told that that's what it was, I felt kind of free because I felt like validated in some way. You know, like you're, what's interesting and I'm sure like we're all, all three of us are people and we all have had life experiences, but everybody goes through trauma, right? In different ways. And, and I found that with my podcast, it's almost helped me because I've healed by talking to other people that have been through stuff. You never know what somebody is going through, right? You will never know what they're actually walking around with. And I think when I got the diagnosis, I kind of went, okay, like I really do have something here and I really do need to like work on myself, you know? (laughs) And so it was almost, it was almost freeing. I'm very glad that was your experience because sometimes diagnosis can have different effects on people. I just wanted to ask you one last question. And if you're looking at your life now, you mentioned you have a husband and two lovely daughters one really likes soccer or maybe everyone you said, I was wondering how, and if it make a change, how mental health is spoken in your family? That's a really good question. I think that I try, I have explained to both my kids, my kids, one's 11. So she's a little bit older. And then the other just turned seven. I tell them pretty openly the things that I've gone through in my life. You know, I want them to know that it's okay to talk about not being happy or feeling certain feelings. I know my 11-year-old is in the U.S. We couldn't, I don't know how it is there, but we couldn't, our schools were all closed. And, you know, she's a preteen, so she's going through all like the weird hormonal changes. And so, you know, she was trapped in a room for the whole year, basically, and I felt like she was struggling mentally. So I had her go talk to my therapist to say, you know, it's okay. So I think like, I just want to be the best parent I can be. Not, and by the way, I'm not the best parent, um, but I'm okay. I would say I'm doing an okay job. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I'm very open. And so is my husband about talking about mental health. Thank you very much, Megan. We are um, running out of time. I wanted to thank you for sharing your experience, for your, uh, sharing your process with us, also for being so brave to be putting that into a podcast and also uh, that way be helping other people. Thank you, Megan. Well, thank you so much. It was so nice meeting you both. Thank you. Thank you so much for being so honest with us. Podcast Sana Incertidumbre. What ideas are you taking away with you? Well, we had a great conversation with Megan. I wanted to make some final comments about how hard it is to to live in Hollywood where you have to be beautiful, you have to be young all the time, especially if you are a woman, you have to be uh, attractive. Uh, You have to look and appear successful and how that has a huge contrast with what you're experiencing in your own self inside of you, inside your mind. Her life story resonated with mine, of course, in a different scale. As I'm a journalist, and image is very important in uh, my career. And also with my own experiences when I was in 
high school or when I was in college and I, I was popular and I wanted to keep uh, maintaining that image of being successful and being uh, active and attractive. But inside of me, I was feeling very, very bad. And it was not until some situation in my life uh, made that explode. As Megan said, I was lucky enough to have some people in my life, like this girlfriend that I spoke about, that helped me to take the decision to seek help and start a very long, sometimes painful, sometimes uh, very happy process of healing myself and dig into those issues of my childhood in order to find the things that made me be like that. Uh, I'm always thankful for someone like Megan to be able to share her story with us. Uh, Fran, it's your turn. Thank you, Seba. I was I was thinking about how sometimes we feel that we need to present to other people like perfect lives or I'm happy with how my life is going and how sometimes we start to believe it. We start to say, if my life is so perfect, why do I feel this way? If I have a, a beautiful family, why do I feel sad at night? If I have a job, if I fa have financial security, how can I deserve to feel this bad? And I think the word that Megan didn't mention, that, but I was thinking about is guilt. That sometimes we don't seek for help because we feel that we don't deserve help. Like there are people that are worse than me. Why should I be the one using this time? And like what she said, I'm excited to go to the next party because maybe that's going to make me happy. That's like a little band-aid. Like it can help from maybe that night, but then you are going to feel low. And those are a little signals for anybody that's listening of, okay, maybe I need to pause for a little bit and ask myself, how am I feeling? I didn't feel the way I was supposed to be feeling, so maybe there's something extra that I need to be attending to. That could be with help of therapists, that could be help with friends, or even your own self and having a deeper conversation. But I loved how Megan was so honest about this because it's a very difficult journey, not only because of the traumas, but also in the other moment, that is what happens after the trauma. How can I put myself in this path again, but with more compassion? Totally true. Uh, well, we're uh, getting to the end of this episode of Sana Incertidumbre in English. I want to thank you all for uh, listening to us and being here with us at this moment. Fran, also, I want to thank you for your uh, time, for your remarks, of course, always on point. <laughs> Thank you, Sevan. Thank you, everyone that is listening. And please be with us for the next episode. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you later. That was Sama Incertidumbre, a podcast about mental health, self-care, and life itself with Sebastián Valdez and Francisca Venegas. You can find us on Instagram in at Sama Incertidumbre and be part of the conversation.